Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I am glad that you have joined our show today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us connected and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we made the connection. So Rick Bernardo is joining us again today. I'm thoroughly delighted. Um, As you all know, he was uh, a guest a few weeks ago and then has been joining me as a co-host. And if you haven't had a chance to hear Rick and I, Rick is an ethicist, a teacher, an advocate, a writer, a musician, a comedian who lives life finding connections and exploring ways of living grounded in ethics. Welcome, Rick. Thanks. Uh, it's good to hear a description so I remember a sem- semblance <laughs> of who I am on a Saturday morning. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and uh, this morning I have uh, invited a special guest. Terrific. Uh, pastor Dean J. Seal. He's a pastor at Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska. He's, his denomination ordains, marries, and welcomes LGBTQIA and plus there's more letters that we keep learning about, and uh, as we should. He was ordained, uh, Pastor Seal, to interfaith work and has produced many events and art shows dealing with all types of spirituality. In fa- fact, I, I met uh, Dean uh, during the period when he was uh, coordinating Spirit in the House, which was uh, an amazing festival we can maybe touch on. Uh, but at that point, um, uh, and since then, uh, Seals worked especially with the interfaith subject of forgiveness. He has a master's degree in theology and the arts from United Seminary here in St. Paul. His field is historical theology with a focus on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and before all this, he was in show business. Uh, he produced the Minnesota Fringe Festival and ran Bryant Lake Bowles Cabaret Theater, and he's a published author and a playwright. And uh, Dean, welcome this morning so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, and what have you been doing since Spirit in the House? I know I've been in touch here and there, but let's catch up a little bit. Uh, Spirit in the House was a, an effort to do interfaith work on an ongoing basis, and what I found was that it was doable but not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things in the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I ended up uh, teaching religion at Augsburg College for about 11 years, part-time, and uh, then backed into being a pastor uh, because I, I really loved the work. I was a hospital chaplain for a year, and that's an interfaith experience where you're dealing with people uh, because of uh, they need some help. Uh, you know, a chapel is like a tour guide in a hospital because people come in there and the, the hours are different, the food is different, the language is different, and you're there to help them make that transition. And whatever's going on there, uh, they're going to leave the hospital changed. Mm-hmm. If they leave the hospital, right. sometimes you're just helping people get ready to die or helping families cope with the idea that somebody's going to die. But uh, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, be a, a youth minister in Burnsville at uh, – a Church of the Apostles, and uh, I've done a church theater, and I wrote a book about that called Church and Stage, which is about how uh, you can make, uh, you take the storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus was a storyteller, a superb mm-hmm. storyteller, and uh, bring that into uh, the worship experience and also like uh, the youth uh, ministry or 
if you have like adults and children working together on a production, then the kids get a chance to mix with adults instead of uh, putting them in demographic silos. I really agree. I, th- I think there's something about stories going back to primitive man around the fire being able to share the story that creates the connections. Yeah. It's the story that allows us to be able to come out of ourselves and connect with someone else and and do the imagination uh, yeah. of the what ifs. Especially intergenerationally, you mm-hmm. know, when when uh, you know, in America we evolved away from uh, having the uh, grandparents around the grandkids and mm-hmm. the one I remember one woman saying, "How are the kids going to get their stories?" Right. They, um, they're, they're part of discovering who we are. Yeah. Uh, they're part of discovering who we want to be. Yeah. Uh, they're aspirational as well. But it, it's, I want to back up a little bit more in, in your history. Sure. Story as part of that. Um, <laughs> I, I never met you back when, but I did go to the first Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a vision for that in sharing stories. Um, and tell me about your work as an artist that then led you to um, – becoming a minister. Sure. Um, when I got out of college, I was in a five-piece group called Modern Entertainment, and guys like Louis Anderson and Joel Hodgson sure. were the warm-up acts for uh-huh. what we were doing. It was a fringe show about 20 years before there was a fringe, uh, and that devolved into a thing called Mr. Elk and Mr. Seal, which was an acapella duo that I did in New York City, Catch a Rising Star with like Chris Rock and uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and those guys were on the same stage. We shot a pilot for HBO out at Paisley Park, which was a big fat bomb. And at that point, <laughs> it's Mr. a good story now, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at that point, Mr. Elk went to LA to work in television, and I stayed here to work in theater. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I started doing a one-person show. Uh, one was called Authentic Replica, where the conceit was, it's not actually a show, but it looks just like one. <laughs> and, and just because you're in the audience doesn't mean that it's a show. That's right. <laughs> so where are you? <laughs> so uh, uh, eventually I took over the Bryant Lake Bowl Cabaret Theater, and that's where, this, that's where it's kind of hooked into a groove because – uh, the place was owned and managed by uh, lesbians, so the food was superb, and the social mission was very strong. And it was a place not just for gay people, but for everyone to present themselves in a 99-seat theater. And I really felt a sense of we're building a community here, a community of artists, and we gave them total creative control. Uh, and then that grew into what The Fringe was doing. Uh, the Fringe was started by Bob McFadden, who had been to the uh, Winnipeg Fringe. Um, and he ran it for four years, and then he, he basically couldn't sustain it, and he asked me to take it over. Uh, and uh, I'm going to brag. Uh, when I took it over, attendance was 4,400, and four years later when I left, it was 28,000. There you go. And it is now I mean, the largest. We're talking a geometric progression there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's now the largest uh, non-juried performance festival in the United States. Wow. So, but but uh, some one one of my tech directors say, "Why do you do this?" Because it was a lot of work, and I did a lot of tears at bedtime. Uh-huh. I said, "Because uh, it builds community." Right. Uh, and uh, you hear these lovely stories, like uh, there was a, a guy and a gal uh, standing in line looking at each other, and after the show, the gal went up to the guy and said, "What have you seen, and what do you like?" And that is the question at the fringe, right? Mm-hmm. You see as many shows as you can, sure. and they got married and had a kid, and I go, "Yeah." <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going to take some credit for that too. They, they well, like that, that show a lot. Yeah. But well, how else? How else can like-minded people meet? It, you it's know? almost like a Shakespearean comedy. Very, very much. <laughs> two two lovers fall in love at the fringe and get yeah. married and have a child. I mean, yeah. it's just it's a it's a perfect happy ending to a, a romantic comedy. Yeah. I, I I love the connection between storytelling and community yes. and building stories for that connection. There's also a dark side to that. You, you, if you do that in the in a, or I would call the the wrong way. You, you could have a cult. Right. Uh, we see that going on. Like you know, think of Trump. He's trying to be entertaining, and he and but there's there's a background narrative to everything he's doing, and sometimes up front. Uh, but anyway, the 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 storytelling. Um, when you were mentioning also comedy, I remembered um, a priest one time heard I was doing comedy and studying theology, and he said, "How come there's no?" humor in the Bible, and I thought, well, I immediately thought a wavy gravy said one time, hey, man, if you don't have a sense of humor, it's not even funny. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, it, it, Jesus had to have been more captivating than you would imagine if you don't have a sense of humor reading his stories. Right. You know, so. yeah. Well, and I have to believe that – because he did not write those stories, others wrote about the stories that oh, yeah, he told. Yeah. That my guess, he was very engaging and and was able to capture imagination and humor. Because I do think it's humor that that allows us. I mean, I, I think it must have been funny when he walked in and and turned the water into wine for the for the wedding, and people went, "Oh yeah, <laughs> this is a guy I can uh, you know enjoy being with." I tell four jokes, uh-huh. three jokes at the beginning of every service for the people who are. Uh, watching online because uh-huh. a lot of them are trapped at home because of illness. Mm-hmm. And one of them was uh, we're making jokes about communion. And one of them is Jesus is at the Last Supper and he's looking at the bill and he goes, okay, who's the idiot who ordered wine from the caterer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, that's not in the Bible, by the way. No, no, but it just didn't get written down. Yeah. That's all. Doesn't oh. mean it didn't happen. Just didn't get written down. That's my theory. Good so uh, uh, I grew up Lutheran. Uh, my family is very Lutheran and Norwegian Lutherans, very yeah. specific. Um, but uh, I was not a fan of the church because of uh, when I grew up, the Vietnam War was going on. Yeah. And I saw Christianity in general saying, go kill those communists because they're atheists mm-hmm. uh, and because they're not white, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, although there were you know, anti-war uh, Christians and priests and stuff like that, uh, I just didn't buy it as my experience of the institution. So I didn't go to church for like 20 years. But I had a relative who was a Lutheran pastor and actually became uh, president of St. Olaf College. He said, if you want to know what an Old Testament prophet looks like, look to Dr. King. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. King kind of lurked in the background as being, that's what it looks like when it works. Sure. And every time I bumped up against anything he said, I go, that makes great sense to me. Mm-hmm. So that was my way in. Mm-hmm. And the more of his stuff that I read, the more I go, this is like ripped out of today's headlines. There's nothing he's written that seems dated mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And it was a violent time. It was a very violent time. And he, he stood for something more. Yeah. And believed in something more. And we're going to take this chance um, to take a break because I generally run over 
all of the breaks, and I, I once again have done that. Uh, it's okay. Um, but I want to make sure that folks know about your church and uh, the ability for them to learn more about it. They may go to chaskachurch.org, and that's Shepherd of the Hill Church. It is a Presbyterian church that you are now the minister of. So check that out. We'll be back after a couple of commercials, and we're going to talk more about interfaith and interfaith art. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and I have Rick Bernardo as my co-host today. He's been with us in the last few shows. The last show he was co-host. He's co-host again today. Am and, I? Yes, you are. Oh, and you oh, oh, are oh. an ethicist, a teacher, an advocate, a writer, a musician, comedian, and you find connections. Sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you lose them, I, I try to know the difference. Yeah. That's That's the important thing about it. Well, I think it's good to explore both connections and disconnects, connects and disconnects. Yeah. Um, It's sometimes in those moments that we find things that are important. Indeed, what you said. So uh, speaking of connection, uh, I brought a wonderful connection, Pastor uh, Dean J. Seal, who wears many hats. He's at uh, Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church. Uh, Chaskachurch.org is that website, by the way. In his past, he's woven many threads of uh, deep arts, um, entertainment, spirituality, theology, and always the uh, justice advocate in some way uh, underneath and around all of that. And uh, let's talk a little more about the the interfaith spirituality work, Dean. Especially Uh, the interfaith art that you did. I'm I'm fascinated with how art art. – uh, creates is part of creating story. Um, I'm fascinated with uh, what it means to create. Yeah, um, my interfaith uh, understanding became uh, started with Dr. King mm-hmm. because uh, he he was an advocate of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Nonviolence comes from uh, 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 Mahatma Gandhi, mm-hmm. who was a Hindu. Mm-hmm. Gandhi grew up in a community where Hindu and Muslims uh, mixed freely. They went to each other's uh, uh, ceremonies. The Hindu church recognizes Jesus as a god, the Hindu faith, I should say, uh, you know, one of, one of hundreds of gods. Sure. Uh, in Hinduism, there's hundreds of gods, but it's all one god. So they're monotheistic and polytheistic at the same time, which Christians might have a little trouble figuring that out. But, but uh, the, the point is, where does the rubber meet the road? Uh, Gandhi uh, uh, preached nonviolence as... <clears throat> Actually, I saw the grandson of, of Gandhi at, when I was teaching at Augsburg. He came to speak and he said, you Americans think of nonviolence as like this tool that's in a drawer in the bottom, sh- in the bottom <laughs> of your cabinet that you take out every once in a while and use when you need something. But nonviolence is a way of being. Um, and uh, it's like that's what makes people vegetarians. Uh, but also this great insight that poverty is a form of violence. It's a form of violence against people. Lack of medical care is a form of violence. So Dr. King picked up this whole nonviolent vibe through a Hindu the- theologian. Um, and uh, 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 King actually said, I, I'd have been a Unitarian if <clears throat> I didn't need to build a movement. Because mm-hmm. you, you, Unitarians are really good at uh, progressive politics, but mm-hmm. there aren't enough of them. 
Right. Uh, so King was trying to inspire the Christian community to turn to justice efforts and make something happen. So uh, I went, you know, I, I like that. You know, the exclusivism of Christianity I, I have a big problem with because what they're trying to do is scare people into saying, I'm going to go to hell if I don't do everything right and show up on time. Uh, uh, and if you believe anything different, then uh, uh, you're doomed and you'll be an outcast. Mm -hmm. But inclusivity is is how I understand the work of Jesus. They, they, one of the key elements of what he did was called, uh, you know, everyone's welcome at the table. That's why communion is such an important event. Uh, and there are churches that exclude people from communion, like if you're divorced or if you're LGBTQIA. Uh, and we we don't believe in that. We believe everybody's welcome at the table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's God's table mm -hmm. is what we say. But what it means is that it's open commensality. It means the uh, the table is, is where you uh, gather and you gather everybody. Uh, there was a, a phrase from uh, Nora Ephron who said uh, family is – Whoever is around the table eating the same thing at dinner. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Yeah. Yeah. There is a sacredness of breaking bread together. There's something that happens that allows us to connect in a different way. Very much. So, you know, the orientation of storytelling through Jesus also includes storytelling from other traditions. Native American storytelling, uh, uh, you know, uh, the vivid imagery of, of uh, Native spirituality is a great source of inspiration. And... Uh, uh, when I was doing interfaith stuff, we we would hold we would do an interfaith play and then interfaith storytelling in a black box. Uh, this is over at Concordia in St. Paul, and then we we put an art show in the lobby, uh, and there was this uh, art show about uh, forgiveness. There was this uh, British journalist who started the Forgiveness Project, and she's an atheist. Mm -hmm. But this is where you go. You know, atheists have a, a, a very developed sense of spirituality. Buddhism is technically an atheistic spirituality. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there is atheistic spiritualities. And she'd done this story about a, a woman whose father was killed by the IRA, and she wanted to meet the guy who killed him. And she said, I've already forgiven him. I just want to understand how it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now those two tour around talking about forgiveness mm -hmm. as a means of healing. Uh, and so other people would bring her stories. And uh, uh, she eventually had like dozens of stories. And so she talked to a photographer and said, I have an idea. Why don't you take a picture of each of these guys, each of these people that we're talking about, and we'll do an art show called The F Word. <laughs> and it was a show where they had these banners, these beautifully printed banners where they had portraits and then the story. Of the forgiveness. Of, of forgiveness stories. Mm -hmm. So that's the Forgiveness Project. It's in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had six of those banners up. And then a guy named Dougie Padilla, who is a, an artist and sculptor, he put together an installation, an interactive installation. He took uh, uh, branches of, of, let's say, about as big around between your thumb and about twice as big as that, painted them white, took coffee cans, painted them white, filled the coffee cans with white stones, stuck the branches in those. We had about 30 of them of different sizes. Then he took a white podium. And he put two ramekins on there. One had great green, excuse me, gold threads, and one had white threads. And there was instructions that said, "Tie a thread onto a tree as an act of forgiveness." Oh wow! And it was a three-week installation. And at the end, there were hundreds of threads oh, tied onto these branches. And each thread had a story. Each thread had a story that we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But the the act, and I think something that I've heard you say that that really resonates with me. It, it's one thing to bring people together, but it's also important to act. 
yeah. to do something. Yeah. And their act of forgiveness is powerful. Yeah. Um, to make that commitment to tie, I can imagine tying that on that tree and and giving that, you know, that grace of of forgiveness that that empowers um, the individual and, and empowers the community. Yeah, and there's there's a, a couple of good punchlines. One from the Norwegians and one from the Buddhists. Uh-huh. Uh, Norwegian Alzheimer's is when you for, forget everything except your grudges. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might go for Irish as well. <laughs> I can only speak for my people. <laughs> and then the, the Buddhist one is holding a grudge is like holding a hot coal in your hand that you're going to throw at the guy you're mad at the next time you see him. Uh, well, guess who gets burned? Yeah. Right? That hand that's holding that. That hand that's yeah. holding so tightly to yeah. that anger and that that desire for vengeance. And that is a perfect punchline to end the segment. I do want to remind folks that you can um, experience the church online, online, and it's chaskachurch.org, and that's for the Shepherd of the Hill Church. Um, Very cool church and very cool to have you today. In our next segment, I want to continue this discussion. You you brought up justice in terms of poverty being unjust uh, and health and wealth and all kinds of things being unjust. Love to uh, continue that conversation about justice in our next segment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And we're having a very engaging conversation today, talking about arts and spirituality, uh, forgiveness, justice, interfaith art. And I have a great co-host who brought our guest today, Rick Bernardo. If you've been listening to the last few shows, you've heard Rick and I talking about all kinds of good things in terms of ethics and decision-making and finding our voice and finding community, all those good things. And Rick, thank you for being my co-host today and bringing our guest. Mm -hmm. And for the folks who are just tuning in who may not know who our guest is, I'll have Rick introduce him for us. It's uh, Dean J. Seal. He's not only a pastor at Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church, but he has a long and varied and deep history of experience, but also practice in arts, spirituality, justice issues, uh, all all the deep connections. In fact, the, the church's uh, motto and practice is we connect, but um, Dean brings to our table literally a lot of different perspectives and possibilities around that. What I love is you recently adopted that as your motto of We Connect. Yeah. Um, what I, what, you have to try, to try to define yourself in the marketplace of ideas. And what I've been uh, saying about our church is we have a traditional setting. We do a traditional uh, Presbyterian worship service, which is the Presbyterians are very uh, – into uh, making meaning out of words. Uh, the, the pastor is technically called a teaching elder, okay? So uh, we're, we teach about the Bible, we read the Psalms every week, uh, we consider ourselves the most Jewish of the Protestant traditions. Uh, we, I love it. I know. was raised Presbyterian, so yes, yeah. yes. So I, we we also also the the whole government was somewhat based on our assembly. Yes, uh, of how we debate ideas in yeah. order to come to consensus. The national government is based on the Presbyterian model of governance. Yes. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I read a poem somewhere, and I can't remember who wrote it or what it was, but it just said, "Just connect." 
And I thought, that's what we do. We try to connect people to each other. We try to connect people to uh, uh, their history. Uh, we try to connect people to a deeper connection with uh, sacred writing, not just the Bible, but uh, sacred writing from any tradition. Uh, as Duke Ellington said about music, they asked him, what's the best kind of music? And he said, if it sounds good, it is good. There you go. <laughs> it's so true. I believe that about spirituality. Mm -hmm. if, if something is, is valuable spiritually, then I don't care where it's from. And that's, mm -hmm. that's an interfaith perspective, mm -hmm. is that it's, we're not the only ones with good ideas. This is what we got. What do you got? Right. right? And, you know, uh, Jesus is number one for me because everybody says, uh, do unto others, right? But only Jesus said, love your enemy. And that's a deep, hard truth. Uh, and because it's it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're faced with injustice. Yes. And I think when we're faced with injustice, the maybe part of our brain that's fight or flight goes into fight, and it feels good to get angry. It feels there's a sense of righteous indignation in being able to have a holy anger. Now, exactly. I think I think anger's good. But I don't think that necessarily going right into violence is a good right. idea. I exactly. think a pause factor is important. Well, nonviolent anger is, is, a, yeah. is a, an important thing. I was going to say that I think an important distinction is the difference between uh, love, which is what you're talking about here with forgiveness and loving your enemy, right? Uh, which are the, one of the better definitions I've heard is uh, accepting someone for who they are and who they are not. And I think it's important to distinguish that, though, between love and uh, toleration. To, to tolerate injustice is not the—it's not really that loving. Uh, and you can love someone, and in Buddhism and a lot of other practices, you can you have to you can do what it takes to stop harm from happening, and still love the person involved. If anybody's ever left someone in a bad relationship who, who was violent, for instance. You get that you could love them, but just get the heck away. Well, boundaries you know? are good. Yeah, but bound, boundaries allow us, uh, I believe, to uh, be our full self. And I don't think that we are called upon to be stepped upon. Yeah, in, yeah. and that, that we tolerate abuse. I mean, I, I think that would be uh, allowing for um, that to be enabled. And as Dean was pointing to, it's where you're coming from and who you're being in that. That's at the heart of Jesus and other people. So, so, and and in his uh, ministry, yeah, it was about the poor. It was about those that maybe were outcast. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the difference between the religiosity uh, and the spirit of connection, uh, wealth, education, religious intolerance. Sexual preference and tolerance; those are things that happen today. Yeah, um, that we're still trying to make sense out of. Yeah, well, uh, the uh, the connection to justice for me is is through Dr. King's notion of nonviolence, and our church uh, specializes. <clears throat> excuse me, we have a mission called Families Moving Forward. We're part of a team of thirty different churches where homeless. Families who are experiencing homelessness sleep in a church for a week, and we feed them and get them out of sleeping in their car and help them find a place to live. And we do that through Beacon Interfaith Housing. Beacon Interfaith Housing is a consortium of, of uh, people who build affordable housing because the economic system won't do that. And homelessness is a form of violence. And so the nonviolent action to take is to advocate for the homeless 
and uh, uh, help people who are experiencing homelessness. So uh, that's uh, the mission of our church, and that's what the, the community uh, that gathers. Religion means to, uh, to come together. Okay, religio means to come together. So you can have your own spirituality, but a spiritual community becomes a religion in, when they come together to do something. So we come together to help families, which is a very hands-on thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, we advocate for uh, affordable housing through the legislature, through Beacon. I gotta tell you one story. There was, you know, our, our, our building is uh, the, the uh, unit where Beacon has their headquarters for Scott and Carver County. So families that are experiencing homelessness are coming in and out. And there was this one family I was familiar with. The husband lost his job, they lost their house, they were sleeping in an SUV, they had three kids. And we just really felt for them. And uh, you, you don't come up to them and say, hey, how's the homeless thing going, right? No. <laughs> you come up and say, it's a beautiful day today or something like that. So I said that to her and she turned to me and said, uh, we got some good news. Uh, we're moving into an apartment on Friday. And she burst into tears and she gave me a hug and said, the kids are really looking forward to it. So we have those experiences working with families. Mm -hmm. And that gives us a sense of we're making something happen. We're doing something. We can't we – can't, change the world, but we can change our world. So we're very hands-on about saying, okay, we renew ourselves and we refresh ourselves spiritually in our worship service. We work with forgiveness of the self. That's the first thing we do uh, is acknowledge God's love includes forgiveness. And then we go, okay, now what can we do? And we make something What's happen. on the agenda? <laughs> What's on the agenda? What, what can we do to uh, change the unjust nature of the world? And when you talk about families being displaced, you can't help but imagine what is going on in Poland and uh, Hungary and all of the families that have out of, you know, uh, moments change in their life, have a whole new, you know. And, and that's some of the first parts of our shows that uh, Rick and I were talking about is sometimes you can feel overwhelmed that there are there's such big problems out there that you yep. almost want to isolate yourself because it's it's overwhelming. Yep. But what I hear you say is truly, and what, what Rick was advocating for in, in our very first show is to make a difference is through connection. Yeah. And what can you do? Yeah. And, and if you are upset about Ukraine, maybe you can help uh, – Someone in your own community yeah. to find a place. You don't have to look very far to find uh, somebody who uh, could use a hand. Right. And we all have different ways we could – different hands to lend, so to speak. It, it really, it's just um, – what, what is it uh, Frederick Buechner uh, saying that the place where God calls you is a place where your own deep – Gladness meets the world's deep need. Yeah, that's a good I, I, one. I love that. There's different different versions of that. Yeah, um, he's a Presbyterian. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> oh, dude. All right. Uh, I, well, he actually guy. found it in uh, Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, which was the first church I went to in New York City that was Presbyterian. Uh -huh. And I really like their teaching thing. They also have no bishops, which right. gives you a lot of theological freedom. Well, and at our own Westminster here in um, Minnesota, I adore the music concert series oh, yeah. and, and the celebration of art and yeah. purpose uh, through Westminster through Pres Presbyterian Church. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They're, they're just really well known. Yeah. That was my home church for twenty years, and they had a they had a they have an art gallery there, 
and they would bring in art from different uh, traditions. <clears throat> they had a really great show of uh, art by Jewish women. Uh, they've had uh, different stuff. So we, we do that at our church. Uh, there was a couple of artists in our church, and they said, you know, there's a bunch of great artists here in Chaska, but they don't have any place to show their stuff. And I said, why don't they show it here? And it turns out that our narthex is a beautiful space. Perfect so, for a gallery. Totally. So, <laughs> so the hardware store guys installed lights, and uh -huh. we have a very well-crafted art studio. And every year around Christmas time, we do an interfaith art show. Mm -hmm. And we call it uh, Windows to the Soul because there's a phrase oh. that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm -hmm. And so it's through our eyes that we encounter uh, art as a means of expression of different spiritualities. Like we're looking at Muslim art and there's no images of humans uh, because that's, mm -hmm. that's against mm -hmm. the rules. Mm -hmm. But what they are way into is calligraphy and uh, designs that are based on nature. Uh, and that's gorgeous, beautiful, amazing stuff. And I have to imagine art creates conversation. Yeah, and and people people get a, a, a vision into what does this mean? What is this about? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll have like Muslim stuff and Hindu and Buddhist and Jewish and Christian, and each one of them is saying something. That uh, there's a guy named Wilson Yates who said, uh, "Spiritual art pulls you onto sacred ground." Mm -hmm. So it's this really compelling experience. And the other thing we were trying to acknowledge there is that we are created by a creator. We are created in the image of a creator. And anytime we are creating, I feel like we're hooked into the slipstream of the Holy Spirit. Oh. Well, I have, I have to agree with you. I mean, I've always been fascinated with God as creator. Yeah. And the creation story is how things got created and the process of creativity. I, I, I don't think we pay enough attention to our own imagination and take our imagination seriously. Yeah, and there's there's actually two creation stories. Mm -hmm. They're very yeah, different, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the, bo both of them have different perspectives on what, what creation is about. And the first one, uh, humans are made last, and as Mark Twain says, God made humans uh, at the end of the week when he was very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just throw them together. <laughs> All right, we got to do one more. Uh, yeah. We'll use this rib. <laughs> throw yourself across the finish That's line. That's the second story. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. And tell me the second story. Well, the second story is when he creates Adam, and then Adam names all the animals. And then uh, God says, uh, you look a little lonesome. Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we create a woman? And uh, the, the polite thing to say is God did not make a uh, woman out of, out of uh, the head because that would make her in charge or out of the feet, which would make her subservient, but out of the rib, which makes her as equal. And next uh, to his heart. <clears throat> and next to his heart. There we go. And with that, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and continue our conversation about justice, about Martin Luther King about what does it mean to build community um, and things that we can do. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And remember, uh, go check out chaskachurch.org. Reverend Dean Seal, who is with us today, is the pastor of that church. And I think you'd enjoy taking a look at his website. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. This time has gone so quickly because I have such um, wonderful folks joining me today for the conversation. Rick Bernardo has been my co-host, who is just a great guy who also studies ethics and art and 
<laughs> things. Things and advocacy for health. And he has brought Pastor Dean Seal, who's the pastor of Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church. And we've been talking about justice and interfaith art and exploring what it means to be nonviolent, uh, tapping into Martin Luther King. And we, we've started the discussion about justice um, and justice is love. One of the, the things that you've shared with me is uh, justice is love out loud. Uh, uh, Cornell West said uh, uh, justice is what love looks like in public. There we go. Yeah, that's a cool line, a great it summation is. of what it's about. Like it that. is. And that, that violence, I think we normally think of as something painful, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> yeah. getting hit or whatnot. Well, the movies tell us uh, yes. about violence. Yes, but violence is harm being done to an individual, whether it's an economic harm, um, not access to health care harm, and not having good health outcomes because of the disparities because of access to health, uh, social injustices, education injustices, religious intolerance causes harm. So the whole idea of do no harm that doctors like to practice is really a form of justice, a form yeah. of love. Uh, and, and something else that you have shared with me is is the responsibility of white people taking to task other white people and, and having that courage to do that. Yeah, it's, it's holding each other accountable. Uh, when I fill out a form, it'll say uh, African-American, Asian-American, Latin-American, white. Yeah. And I'm going, why doesn't it say European-American? Yeah. That's because white people like don't like to re remind themselves that they have a history. Mm -hmm. We wanted to leave Europe behind when <laughs> we came over here. And so it's like uh, Chaska is 150 years old, and we think the world is 150 years old. Uh, we like to <clears> – <throat> excuse me. We like to try to uh, uh, ignore uh, – there's a, there's a big movement. And, but it's, it's always been an anti-intellectual movement in the United States that says – that uh, you know, slavery was no big deal, and uh, the Indians weren't using the land anyway. A along with that, is they were treated so well. Yeah, they were they were treated so well. The, the slaves were happy. They would have been so much worse off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we did them a good thing by bringing them over here and a, making them Christians. A lot of justification there for really bad behavior. And it's all really untrue. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've worked with the uh, black uh, performers and teachers, and and. Uh, some of them are, are very professional and into the business and stuff like that. But otherwise, you know, a lot of the people in the black community said, it's not my job to straighten out you white people. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to come here and uh, 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 do the that's work. A lot, that's a lot of responsibility. <clears throat> yeah, it really do, should be white people kind of doing an aha moment. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to do the work that you guys should be doing with yeah. each other. Yeah. So I just uh, was at uh, Mount Calvary Church in uh, Excelsior. We were short a movie called uh, A Time for Burning, which is about uh, when a white pastor tried to get uh, his church in Omaha in 1962 to uh, get to know some black people. And they were both Lutheran churches. And the people in the white church freaked out. They said, you know, I want everything for the white people. I want everything for the black people. They should be able to vote. They should be able to live where they want and work. But I don't want to be in the same room with them. And it's like. Uh, what sense is that? It's, it's a sense of ignorance and fear. It's fear of fear, the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it turns people into other. So white people have to hold each other accountable. When somebody starts telling a racist joke, 
uh, you have to say, you know, that's not actually funny. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And people will say, oh, geez, you're in the cancel culture. And that's a way to avoid responsibility for, or, or for making, maturing. Or making fun of woke. I yeah. mean, we hear that more and more. Oh, anti-woke. I mean, we don't need this. This is part of the woke movement. Woke is slang for being aware. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, is, is it wrong to be aware of something? Is it wrong to be historically informed? I don't think so. But it does take courage. Yes. And it takes something that allows your voice to come through. And that's something also that Rick and I have been talking about. How do we find our voice? And I think voice is also not necessarily talking. It's your actions as well. Yeah. Hear your voice when you go to vote. Make your voice known when you vote. Make your voice. So voice becomes, I think, a metaphor for something much bigger. It's really who we are. How do we come out of who we are and and do what's right, which comes back to ethics and comes back to how do we align our spirituality so that we're looking at what's right. And we, we need to use the voice. I mean, we think in our church that, you know, you, you work through the church to educate yourself, to become more aware, to fine-tune your spirituality. But none of that matters if you don't put it to work. Uh, Dr. King uh, encountered churches where the Baptist church in Mississippi said, you know, our faith is not about our relationship to other people. It's about our relationship to God. And Dr. You know, basically, as far as I know, then they've ignored everything Jesus ever said or did. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Dr. King said, then that church is hiding behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. Yeah. And that's where people go into uh, Christianity to escape so that they're not exposed to things that are painful. But the fact is, truth is painful. It's hard work. It's hard work. And, and to engage in the process of, 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 of seeing what that pain is about, where it comes from, and then what can we do? And there's a great Italian saying, uh, 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 salute to the Italians here. Uh, okay. uh, they said that there's, it's a really important cause if it can't be solved within your lifetime. Uh-huh. So Americans want to fix things right away. What can I do right now? Yeah. But, but we have bigger problems that we're going to a long time forming and are going to be a long time uh, needing engagement to solve them. So uh, uh, let's, let's have more of an Italian viewpoint on this, which is <laughs> you, a just greater that, sense of history. And and one uh, important speaking of ethics, I mean, a foundational principle of ethics is fairness. We all have that in our bones. When you're two years old, you, you're yeah. just saying that's not fair, but you don't know what it is yet. Yeah. But when we mature, hopefully, we get what fairness is. And if you're just hanging out and tolerating and accepting basic unfairness going on all the time, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And being part of the problem in terms of ethics is not the goal. Also, I think there's a stress involved in accepting things that you know aren't right. In that stress of the cognitive dissonance where your gut is telling you, yeah, this isn't quite right, but I don't want to rock the boat. I want to be nice, so I'm just not going to say anything. That stuffing of not allowing your voice to come out I think can it's, can create it's, illness. It's a it good can, way to put it. It's, yeah. I think it's stuffing the deepest of connections we can have as a human. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock did a great bit about this where he says, you know, you, 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 a lot of you white people – uh, you you say that you you're in you know want to be helpful to the black community, but you would not trade places with me. Mm-hmm. You would not say I'm gonna I'll trade places with Chris Rock, and I'm rich. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you would say is, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to see how this white thing works out. <laughs> and with that, we're going to have to end. And we will maybe bring up Chris Rock in another show because there's some interesting violence there as well. And how has that all worked out? But I'm not going to open up, as I already did, that can of worms. We do have to wrap up the show for today. Thank you both for joining us and talking sure. about connections, justice. And go to chaskachurch.org uh, to see what a little more of what Dean's about. Thanks for being with us today.